Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Kane Sports Countdown to Kickoff as the Miami Hurricanes get prepared to host the Michigan State Spartans on Saturday at high noon in Hard Rock Stadium in a massive ball game for both teams. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, joined today by Jim Comperoni of SpartanMag.com, the leading expert on the Spartans up there in Michigan, who's going to give us all kinds of insight into how Michigan State is preparing for Saturday's ball game. Jim, welcome to Kane Sports Countdown to kickoff. We finally get to do it all these years. We've known each other. Miami and Michigan State haven't lined up against each other. We were supposed to come up there last year. COVID intervened. Um, now you guys are coming down here to the Rock. And from what I've seen, Mel Tucker and the Michigan State program is feeling really, really good about themselves this season and are looking forward to this test. Yeah, I think there's some, there's, uh, there's some optimism within the team growing, certainly among the players and the coaches and the fan base also is starting to buy in and get excited about it. And for pretty good reason, Michigan state's been reasonably sharp and explosive the first two games. And that's, that's news around these parts because explosiveness on offense is not something that Michigan state has been in the past three or four years. So there's progress there. People can see that whether or not they can get some things fixed on defense from a personnel standpoint, that's where we are going to begin to learn in this game. It's interesting that you say it's a huge game. It is for Michigan state. Also it's a Mich- It's a, it's an opportunity for Michigan state, uh, you know, to, to, um, I don't want to say make a statement, but to further their progress and feel even better about themselves. Huge game for different reasons for the two programs. It will be interesting to see which team plays with the most intensity and desperation. Maybe that'll be equal, which could set up for a really good football game. All right. Mel Tucker, uh, starting to get his, his, his legs on the ground there at, at Michigan State. Uh, a very well-regarded defensive coach for many, many years at Alabama and Georgia and uh, a guy that I know is very well-respected throughout college football. Give us some insight into uh, how he's being seen at Michigan State, how he's doing in the big picture. Uh, really well received here right now, especially with the success they've had thus far this year. The resume is pretty sparkling. You know, a guy that was who was hired by Nick Saban three times. I know that college football is littered with a lot of people that have, that have worked for Nick Saban. But when he hires you three times and as, as an assistant coach, he's not going to turn things over to you unless you, he thinks that you're pretty well capable of, of handling it. He was defensive backs coach for Jim Tressel for a national championship team at Ohio State in 2002. Hate to bring that one up. And also and also national championship team at Alabama defensive backs coach. He was on Nick Saban's initial staff at LSU. At that time, Mel Tucker was a graduate assistant at Michigan State. When Nick Saban left Michigan State in December of 1999, he took Mel Tucker with him as a GA to become the defensive backs coach. That's where his career was really launched. He played for Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin from year one when Barry Alvarez was just getting started at Wisconsin. So Tucker likes to point out, been a part of the first year of programs several times in his career at Wisconsin as a player at LSU and then some other places went to, went to the NFL for a while and people in Florida might remember he was interim coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars for a little while, coordinator for the Chicago bears came back to college football with Nick Saban at Alabama. When Kirby smart left Alabama to become head coach at Georgia, he took Mel Tucker with him as defensive backs coach made him defensive coordinator. So Kirby smart saw enough in Mel Tucker to elevate his role for that team. Spent one year at Georgia, almost won the national championship that year. Then got the head coaching job at Colorado, spent one year there, 
a little bit of an up and down year for Colorado that year. Scored an upset or two, lost a couple winnable games. Basically, a 500 coach. Michigan State went after Luke Fickle, the current head coach at Cincinnati. Thought they had him at the last minute. Fickle decided to stay at Cincinnati. Michigan State circled back, went after Mel Tucker, had to pay him a little bit more when they circled back. Got him. It's turned out to be pretty good so far. I've been impressed with him, Gary. He's he's an energy guy. He's an organizational guy. And there's a lot of Nick Saban in him. You know, it's one thing to do the things that Nick Saban teaches and believes. It's another thing to carry them out with an eye for quality control to get things fixed. A firm disciplinarian on the field, off the field, he's a human being, which is something I don't think we can say about Nick Saban, having known him personally. Um, myself now as, as far and also, you know, Mel Tucker's from Cleveland that, you know, there's, he's got like a Cleveland spin on a lot of Nick Saban teachings and a very forward thinking feeling for things like pop culture and shoes and cigars, very approachable person. He's a very media savvy. He's really elevated Michigan state's outreach in terms of social media, you know, just the, just the, the front door of the program these days is social media. Very forward thinking of those brought a lot of the things they were doing at Georgia to Michigan state has a lot, a lot more staff than, than Mark D'Antonio had support staff. So he's a modern thinking guy with a lot of old school, a good resume. And he's been in the locker room and in the war room with a lot of uh, excellent championship coaches. So it's an interesting mix. And so far on the field, they're, they're making progress and it's not just lip service, you know, on the field, they're blocking and tackling and, and, and showing, you know, knowing what to do and delivering several second effort with some pretty good physicality, not the most talented roster, but there's some talent here and there. And so far it's been pretty interesting. All right. So first time head coach and, uh, like he's in Colorado for a year and then now second year at Michigan state. Right. Okay. So, so, so yeah, so, so he's had two years coming into this year. I'm sorry. I, I, Forgot for a moment the Colorado uh, year. So uh, he's now had a couple of years to to, to kind of iron it out. Uh, we've learned here at Miami that it takes time for first time head coaches that you're going to go through an unavoidable process with them, and the results are not likely to be immediate in most of these cases. Now he went two and five last year, right? And then they hit the transfer portal like maniacs. Yes. Uh, they picked up 15 new players in the transfer portal. And that could be a mixed bag. I mean, that means that your traditional recruiting has not been very good for several years, but that's not Mel Tucker's fault. Uh, talk to us about what they picked up in the transfer portal and what kind of quality you've seen from those kids. I think they have 15 scholarship players from the transfer portal, one or two walk-ons, and uh, they've helped. They've helped a lot. This running back, Kenneth Walker, from Wake Forest was a pretty good running back at Wake Forest. Had about, I think he had like 575 yards in each of his last two seasons. Pretty good running back at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, as you know, they run a very um, peculiar run game with elongated mesh reads. Very deliberate. They they really take uh, one or two beats longer for the quarterback and the running for the quarterback to make the read, and it's a very late handoff. And they're successful with it. They do a pretty good job with it. Kenneth Walker wanted to go to a program that was more pro style so he could hit the hole downhill and not have that those elongated reads. Came to Michigan State, and he was good at Wake Forest. You look at his film at Wake Forest, he's pretty good. But Gary, he's a lot better now. Um, quickness, he's added some burst. And, and you, you know, some of these players send out 
social media photos of themselves in the middle of the summer as they're working out and so forth. And Kenneth Walker looks like just an, an amazing specimen. Went out against uh, Northwestern and rushed for about 264 yards and really had some nice, some really good runs. Very good vision. I think part of that comes from the the what he learned at Wake Forest. Cutting ability is excellent, and the burst is excellent. He's got some pretty good strength. Top end speed is pretty good. He's not a complete speed burner home run hitter, but those other things, he can find daylight. And, you know, I talked about Mel Tucker has more of a support staff than D'Antonio did. Interestingly, his predecessor, Mark D'Antonio, did a lot of the fundraising to raise the funds for that support staff that Mel Tucker came in and is capitalizing on. Some of the support staff includes the new strength and conditioning coach. You know, everybody's got a strength coach and everybody makes a big deal about it, but I, I, I'm starting to learn you know, it's it's obviously been a big deal for a long time, but the the really great ones are being compensated these days, like yes. like defensive coordinators. It's a big deal. And you hear, you know, coaches around the country talk in some of the anonymous quotes that you see in some of the preview magazines. People were wondering about programs hasn't turned out this way, but people were wondering about Iowa because they had they lost their strength coach. How are they going to how are they going to be without their strength coach? Other assistant coaches around the Big Ten were wondering how's Iowa going to be without their strength coach. You know what's going on with Oregon and their strength coach. Just the, some of those high ranking strength coaches are are paid a lot and they mean a lot. Long story short story long, Michigan State has a new strength coach. Last year was his first year. It was a COVID year. Didn't really have any time with those guys. I mean, they've poured a lot of money in, ter- in terms of just the technology and research and the, and the new age new age technology. And I've seen a lot of players inc- just they just look better on the field. You can see just a little more burst, a little more suddenness from them. And Kenneth Walker is better than he was at Wake Forest. He's a good running back. Offensive line's pretty good. But you ask about transfers. The tailback is good. They brought in a quarterback from Temple who had over Michigan State at 6,000 yards passing at Temple, threw a lot of interceptions, threw a lot of touchdown passes, good arm, wanted to go try it at a Big Ten school, at a a Power Five conference. He came in but did not win the job. Peyton Thorne, sophomore, won the job. Peyton Thorne's been pretty good. So they went out, got a portal transfer quarterback. He didn't win the job. Uh, A couple of portal receivers, they've not made an impact yet. Portal linebacker from Tennessee, University of Tennessee, Quavarius Crouch, Most he's a – very athletic, strong guy, still learning the system, sideline to sideline. You, you know, he'll stand out here and there, but still not completely comfortable with, with, with some of the two gapping that Michigan State does. Over at corner, they've got a guy from Alabama. Ronald Williams was a junior college transfer, went to Alabama. You know, they're, they're pretty picky about their recruits. Went to Alabama, broke his arm during training camp in his first year at Alabama, came back, played like three or four games, lost in the depth chart, transferred out. So a lot of talent there. He didn't have a really great game against Northwestern. Did not start in game two. They started Chester Kimbrough from the University of Florida, who is a second stringer. So at corner, you, you've you got a, a former second stringer of Alabama, former second stringer of Florida competing there. The other one's Kalen Gervin, who's a pretty a decent one, a little guy with good speed, a former four-star out of Detroit. He's not a transfer. But anyway, what I'm getting at is you've got some transfer linebacker, uh, you know, corner, quarterback who didn't win the job, tailback, and left tackle, a guy named Jared Horst from Arkansas State. So in some regards, you're going and getting second stringers from power programs, or though, you, or, or then you go get a second-team all-conference guy from a group of five at left tackle. And he's been okay, but you know he's battling for his job also. Michigan State returns a lot of talent there. It's bolstered the roster. It's had a big impact especially at tailback, and they needed a little help with the secondary. The, the at, at Linebacker and in, 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 in the secondary, that's still, 
you know, it's still molding. It's still in the process. Whereas the tailback was turnkey, literally hit the ground running, made an impact. All right. So you mentioned Walker and the glowing stats. And, you know, let me point out, they won the opener 38-21 over Northwestern before uh, beating Youngstown State 42-14 to last week. Uh, but Walker's coming out against Northwestern to me, was one of the surprises of college football. I mean, nobody saw that coming from Michigan State, and uh, they just went, and they beat the crap out of Northwestern physically, I thought. I, I got a chance to watch some of that game, and I thought they were handling them pretty well. And now you're going into game three, and there's all this talk about the offensive line of Michigan State being one of the better O-lines in the country now. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's a little too much too quick, and they got to prove it on Saturday at Hard Rock, and I think that they're going to get a chance to. I mean, i got to believe that the game plan for Michigan State coming into this game is going to be to put it in the hands of that O-line and that running back when you, when they take a look at Miami's front seven, which is not great right now. And um, the, the onus is going to be on the Hurricanes to stop the run and make Michigan State you know, try to do it through the air, I, I would think. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, and Michigan State's trying to get to a point where they can be balanced. So an opponent opponent has to pick their poison. I'm not sure Michigan State's poison just yet, but they're trying to get to that point. As far as Michigan State's offensive line, they've been maligned the last couple of years. At the end of the D'Antonio era, there were some you know decent players, but collectively they weren't very good. You could see individuals have you know do some good things individually, but never came together as a group. And their per carry run averages were really not good in the last two or three years of the D'Antonio era. That carried over to last year, really substandard year in terms of yards per carry. Now some of that, you know, the coaches that now that they're having success, they're like, well, last year we really didn't have much time with them. You know how it was a COVID year. It's a, it's a rough year to be a first-year coach, especially when Tucker was hired late in the process in February, like a week before spring practice was supposed to start. Never had a spring practice. As you know, didn't have an offseason. No one did. But for a new program, that was difficult to institute their 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 new system and so forth. So you can see the offensive line doing, doing new things. Last year, they would just run a zone scheme, and it was like everybody else's. This year, they're kind of doing a pyramid technique once in a while, and some of their zone schemes are a little bit different, which shows they've had a little more time to fine-tune the way they go about some things. All right, so Michigan State is returned. They have nine. They returned nine offensive linemen, nine offensive linemen with starting experience. Nine different offensive linemen had started wow. Michigan State. Going back in previous years, they had injuries and so forth. Then you throw in the, the three super seniors, COVID year seniors. One guy, left tackle, that played against Northwestern, Luke Campbell, second stringer. He had not played since November of 2019. And all of a sudden, and we, you know, they weren't really keeping us up to date on what he was. We were a little surprised he was still in the program because a lot of guys were purged out of the program. Well, Luke Campbell's still on the roster. Didn't see him in the spring scrimmage. Didn't see him. And all of a sudden, boom, he's in the third the third possession of the game. It did pretty well. He's pushing that transfer from Arkansas State. Would not surprise me if he overtook that starting job. Anyway, he's one of the nine. That guy was honorable mention all Big Ten as a freshman and then got injured, became injured, uh, you know, thought about walking away from football two years away from the game, four surgeries. Now he's back out there and he looks pretty good. So some of these guys with starting experience have gone through some rough times. The center, Matt Allen, last year played one game in the opener against Rutgers, did not play well. They lost to Rutgers, did not play the rest of the season. I thought there was a chance we'd never see him again. He's back playing center. They love his knowledge. He's not a guy that's just going to destroy people, but this is a, this is, this is a veteran sixth-year guy. So 
And then when those guys were injured, other people were coming in and starting for them. Well, those people are still here. Anyway, they played nine guys against Northwestern, didn't have much drop-off, which can help in a situation like Miami where the heat is a factor. It can help if, you can, if you've can if you got the capacity to run people on and off the field. I think Michigan State can do that on the offensive line without a severe drop-off. I'm not ready to say they're like a Wisconsin offensive line. They're not great. They're just they've, – they've achieved a level of functionality against Youngstown State and Northwestern. Now can they do it against a quick one-gapping team that – can, that will make some gap errors in terms of gap integrity. That's how Appalachian State was able to run up the middle a few times, guys jumping out of the gap, trying to do other people's jobs as the coaching cliche goes. The running back, Kenneth Walker, has really good vision to find the, that daylight, so Miami needs to make sure that that gap integrity is better in this game. Well, you mentioned nine offensive linemen with, with starting experience, and uh, you know Miami has been kind of struggling a little bit on the O-line. I'm sure you've heard um, they're looking at remaking the right side of the line, possibly for this game. Um, so Miami fans listening to the show right now are probably feeling a little jealous about some of the things you're saying here about offensive linemen. But uh, it, it's funny because for many, many years, the, the the call down here has been for Miami to go to the Midwest and, and start to get some more linemen from that area of the country and not just rely on Florida because Florida doesn't produce linemen like other areas of the country do. Um, you've been in you know, the mid, the Midwest, so to speak, and, and, and up there in the North for, for a long time. Um, why do you think, I mean, aren't kids kids? Why does that area and that pocket of the country produce the offensive linemen at such a better rate than say like a Florida, California um, and those places? I have no idea, my man. But <laughs> I was hoping you would answer that question. Even, even Brett Romberg was from Windsor, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. That's just right across the river from Detroit. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, I, and it's weird, you know, when Barry Alvarez took over at Wisconsin, he thought that 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 was part of the reason they could build the way they did at Wisconsin. He just looked at the the local talent base and thought that that's that's the that's the way it was going to be. I know up in Minnesota, um, I don't know, there's a lot of, you know, there's uh, they, they call them the Vikings for good reason. The Minnesota Vikings settled by Scandinavians. You know, if you watch World's Strongest Men competition, there's probably some pretty good offensive line people that, that could have been come, come out, of, uh, out of that pool. But I don't know. You know, it's I, I remember talking to some Ohio offensive linemen that Michigan State had a few years ago. I think the entire offensive line was was were Ohioans and asked a player, you know, what's what's up with you guys? Why? Why do they grow offensive linemen in Ohio? He's like, I don't know. Maybe they put manure on us when we're young. <laughs> we don't know well uh don't be surprised if if you maybe, see a wave maybe. from garen garen justice miami's offensive line coach he might wave over there to the uh, michigan state sideline during this game and ask to borrow a couple guys maybe you know see if they can go into the portal uh very quickly or something like that because uh miami is still trying to get its offensive line together going into this game all right so a couple things i want to point out is the the great um advancement of Michigan State's game so far this season. You know, last year I mentioned they weren't very good. They were two and five. They averaged 18 points a game. They gave up 35.1. There wasn't an enormous amount of hope coming out of last season. It was looking, it was looking pretty rough. That's why they did hit the portal. Well, so far this year, they're now averaging 40 points a game through two weeks. They've put up 553 yards a game of offense, and they're only allowing 17.5 points. That's a big, big drop from 35.1 to 17.5, Jim. Uh, so 
tell tell us a little bit about Michigan State's defense. Like, you know, why are they producing so much better right now? And um, how do you see the matchup with Miami's offensive line in transition going on Saturday? You know, part of the reason that the defense is the scoring defense is better is because Michigan State's offense is better, moves the ball better, field position. Those type of things. Last year, one of the problems for Michigan State's defense was that Michigan State's quarterback situation was so poor last year. You know, coming back this year, Michigan State figured to be better at all eleven positions on offense, and we've gone over that. And that helps. That helps the defense. Last year on defense, the scoring defense was poor, but if you look at yards per um, play, you know they were like seventh or eighth in the Big Ten. Not so bad. So. The, there was definitely obviously room for improvement, but maybe it wasn't going to need to be as big of a leap as some people might have thought. Last year, you know, people getting used to the scheme that that was part of it. Um, with the with a brand new scheme, a big changeover from what they used to do, going now to a four two five. That was that was part of it. But on defense, right now, the defensive line is pretty good. I actually expected the defensive line to be better than it is right now, and it was not so great against Appalachian State. They were without a couple of defensive ends. We'll have to wait and see if they're back. This week, they can use those guys because when Michigan, you know, the starting defensive ends were okay, but then last week when you got to your third string defensive ends, there was drop off. And in the heat on Saturday, Michigan State needs to have those starting defensive ends back. Are they back? What percentage of their health are they? You know, defensive end could be a problem for Michigan State down after down getting into the fourth quarter. You know, linebacker, the guy that started at linebacker, middle linebacker last year, Noah Harvey, pretty solid, hardworking guy. All of a sudden, he's third string this year. You see that a lot with this team. Guys who have started before are third string now. Elijah Collins got a little banged up last week, carried the ball four times, was injured, ankle, probably won't play. But that's a guy that gained 980 yards as a redshirt freshman two years ago in Mark D'Antonio's final year. Last year battled COVID. This year was expecting to come back and be better, and he is a little bit better, but he's third string now. Trenton Gillison is a guy that started at tight end in the past. He's third string now. So, you're, you know, that, that that's indicative of some of the, the gains – where you know players have just leapfrogged others. On defense, one of the reasons they're better, Xavier Henderson is a good senior safety, had a nice one-handed interception, rotating back into cover three last week. Looked like it was going to get over his head, made just a spectacular Charles Woodson type of interception. He's taken his game up a level. He's benefited from a year with the new nutrition staff that they have that is state-of-the-art and the new strength and conditioning staff. It's made him a better player, plus the experience, and he's a leader. So at the safety position, when you've got someone like that, that helps. You know, Quiveras Crouch has added some athleticism in the middle, but they've got a sophomore named Cal Halliday, number 27. He's basically the guy that overtook Noah Harvey to take that job. So they've upgraded there a little bit. So you're a little better at safety. You're a little bit better at inside linebacker. Your defensive line has gotten a year older. They're not as good as I expected them to be. So that's where they're better there. But for the most part, they the, the real reason those defensive stats are pretty good is because you know, Youngstown State and Northwestern were not all that great on offense. That's that's a, that's a part of it. I mean, it's, it's a different... As Nick Saban would say, it's a different shooting match when you've got someone like Derek King out there and Rambo and Mallory and the running back. So uh, the midterm exam will be a little bit tougher than these two quizzes Michigan State's had so far. Well, I did want to also touch on the, the quarterback we, you mentioned earlier, um, Peyton Thorne. And uh, different people I spoke to when they watched Michigan State last year thought that he should have been the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do a ton. He had three touchdowns, three interceptions last year. But he won the starting job this fall and, you know, obviously has, has not looked back. He had 185 yards uh, with a touchdown and 28 rushing yards in the opener. Last weekend, they threw the ball more. 
Uh, you mentioned that Michigan State's trying to be more balanced. Well, after running the ball heavy week one, they threw the ball heavy last week, hit 280 yards passing with four touchdowns. This is a tough prepare for Miami defensively and Manny Diaz because now after watching two games this year, they're not really sure do they key on the running game and try to stop that um, or do they focus on the on the passing game now after last week. Um, talk a little bit about uh, Peyton Thorne and the problems that you think that he – poses yeah they're developing some balance there Michigan State is and Thorne is a guy that surveys the field well he's not going to knock you out with a with a great arm but he's got a good enough arm you've seen that he's pretty accurate the deep ball accuracy in the first game against Northwestern was one of the negatives came back in week two and showed he could connect with the deep ball pretty nicely a couple of times um doesn't seem to get rattled hasn't faced a real a real good pass rush yet that could change things up. Can throw on the run. They'll they'll do some bootleg to throw, bootleg to run, zone read to run. He'll keep it often enough that you have to honor him as a ball carrier. So pretty good sophomore quarterback going into his fourth career start. Looks like a guy that's got a good future. I was really surprised last year that he didn't start. Michigan State started a guy named Rocky Lombardi that was who struggled. Now Rocky Lombardi's at Northern Illinois. Rocky Lombardi had one or two good games previously in his career, but just really didn't have the accuracy or consistency. And they liked his leadership. By the end of the year, Peyton Thorne started the last game of the year and threw for over, over 300 yards at Penn State. You know, that's that's one of the things, one of the decisions from this coaching staff that kind of stands out last year as a head scratcher. You know, why didn't Thorne start last year? Hey, we're not, we are not in practice. We don't see the scrimmages. They saw it. They had good, they, I rarely argue with a coach as to who he's starting because they're at practice. We are not but that's a peculiar one last year. Might the season have been different last year if Peyton Thornton started the whole year, maybe instead of two and five, maybe they go four and three, and maybe there were less or fewer question marks coming into this year because the quarterback position might have been more settled, but now you're seeing him getting settled in his own right. But balance is there. Running back is pretty good. And yeah, if you're Miami, first thing is, you got to make sure you host all those gaps. If you're going to be a one-gap scheme, you got to host those gaps. Don't try to do other people's jobs because that running back will find the daylight. And if he does, and you get set up in second and five, play action by this quarterback can be pretty good. And he's got pretty good receivers. Jaden Reed's a good receiver. Trey Mosley's a good receiver. Jalen Naylor, pretty good receivers. All right, as we wind down here, I see two issues for Michigan State. Number one, simulating De'Eric King in practice this week. Uh, very difficult task, I'm sure. And number two, the heat that they're probably going to have to deal with Saturday at Hard Rock Stadium. You're looking at potential temperatures at kickoff approaching 90. Uh, talk about those two things. It's a problem. And there's no way to simulate either one of those things. I know they turned up the heat in the indoor building earlier during preseason camp even, but I mean, that's a mitochondrial thing. It's something that you, you, I mean, you've seen Miami in some of those cold weather bowl games that they've played in, right? Where it's been right. unseasonably cold. It's just, if you're not used to it, you just, you, you know, it, it's, you, you can't function as well as you, as you, you normally would. It, it will be a factor. And Michigan State has been trying to establish more depth. They've not said this, but I think one of the reasons they played so many players on defense in that Northwestern game, it was to get ready for the Miami game for the reasons you're talking about. Uh, I think Michigan State has some depth which can help them in that regard. I, I'm worried about the defensive end position for Michigan State. Not a lot of depth there. If you see number 81 on the field, he's a third stringer. Miami will probably run right at him, and he's got to show that he can play the point of attack. I'm not sure he can. So, yeah, th that's going to be a, a foreign element 
the the heat and i'm i'm not sure what what it will look like until until game day i've heat's been a problem down there in january when michigan state's played bowl games and if it's like a, a warm day on january 1st which happens once in a while and that's a far cry from september down there in miami i've seen it have an impact then so Yes, that's a negative. That's worth a touchdown, I think, for Miami. King, what do you think about King? How is he playing? Um, it looked like it, against Appalachian State, there were some spats of inaccuracy. I don't know if that's usually part of his game. He's got some electric feet. Everybody knows that. Michigan State's going to try to maybe not necessarily chase him, but try to corral him and throw from the pocket. I'm guessing that'll be their approach. I'm sure other teams have tried to do that. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about Derek King right now? How is he playing? Uh, is he a consistently accurate, accurate thrower? I, I, one thing I thought when when they were running some some RPOs and some zone read options against App State, I thought there were a few times when he didn't make the right decisions on those. I thought a couple times he decided to keep it when maybe it might have been better to to go with the handoff on some of those. But he's he's been so great in total offense in his career. He he doesn't need me telling him what to do. What do you think about him? No, you're you're spot on. Um, I think physically he's been better than expected. I mean, coming off the ACL surgery and and he picked up like day one of training camp. And I've told the story several times. I mean, he he was he was um, scrambling on day one of training camp. Kind of, said, I, I thought trying to send a message to everybody, like, "Hey, I'm back. Let's go." You know, um, a lot's been breaking down around him. You've had receivers running wrong routes. Uh, the O line has not been very good so far this season. And then on top of that, like you said, he's made some bad reads and some bad decisions. Maybe tried to run a few too many times against Appalachian State. I'm not sure 16 rushing attempts is really what they want. Uh, so the Miami offense in general, after feeling pretty good about what they did in training camp, has not been real good so far this season. So they're coming into this game on Saturday with a little bit of uh, an onus on their back to play better. Uh, the fan base has been a little up in arms about what they've seen so far from the offense and uh, I mentioned the transitions that they seem to be going through on the right side of the line. So none of this is what the doctor ordered. None of this is according to script. And none of it is helping De'Ara King perform at the level that he's capable of, Jim. So um, a lot of questions and issues that are hopefully, from Miami's standpoint, going to be answered in a positive way on Saturday – but Michigan State, I'm sure, is obviously going to have something to say about all that. Mel Tucker's a very good defensive coach. Uh, he's been around a long time. He knows how to scheme it up. I think this is one of the more captivating games in college football this week. And I, I think that's part of the reason why they're putting it on at noon on as, as a national telecast. I think it's going to be a very interesting ball game. Yeah, I've heard some national you know, talk show hosts and so forth, pundits, curious about Michigan State. They want to see what they can do with this test. And pe people are curious about Mel Tucker. Um, he is a disciplinarian, demanding defensive coach and demanding in, in, in a lot of regards. So if, if more of this rubber is meeting the road and more traction and it's shown this week, then all of a sudden people's national opinions about Michigan State will change a little bit. Not that they're a great team, but this is a Michigan State team that was picked by the media to finish dead last in the Big Ten East. So if they go and, and, and get this win, um, you know, these are two teams, like you said, Miami is desperate to show that they're headed in the right direction. Michigan State is desperate and curious to see exactly how good they are. And there's a lot of strong belief and togetherness. And 
excitability in that roster. You know, the veterans have been through some tough seasons, some pretty decent seasons at the end of the D'Antonio era, but they really believe in all those things I talked about before, the strength coach, the, the new nutrition staff, all that stuff. And, you know, one player told me last week, he says, I'm glad nobody thinks we're any good. People don't know how good we are. That, that's, those are just words. But let me ask you a question of the wide receivers. You said sometimes the wide receivers weren't running the correct routes. Were the receivers admitting that, or was it Lashley, the coordinator? Or how, how, did you Combination see of all. Combination of everybody. You know, they've been making some mental errors. And I think what happened, Jim, was, you know, you're playing Alabama in the opener. And you're thinking, man, you know, we need to, you know, scheme some stuff up for Alabama. These guys are so good. And I think they tried to expand the playbook. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it, it, it backfired on them a little bit. I, I think that the kids went into the game and they weren't as polished on some of these new plays that they put in for the Alabama game. And that's where some of the mental mistakes came in. So I think what happened was they come back home and for Appalachian State, I think they went in reverse. You know, they, they went back to the basics and, and, and went very vanilla for Appalachian State. And, you know, that might have backfired in the in the opposite way. They, they just weren't good enough on offense, were way too vanilla. And uh, when you factor in the offensive line playing abysmal, uh, that kept them from doing a lot in that in that game offensively. So they're coming in this week. They're, they're, you know, they know they got to score touchdowns. They can't, you know, keep going inside the 40 and coming away with field goals or no points at all. So uh, that's been a big focus in practice this week. We'll find out Saturday um, how it goes. Michigan state's given up a couple of deep shots against Northwestern. Um, Miami's got the capacity to test you deep with those things. I'm not sure they've done a lot of that yet this year. They might, do some rocket testing in this game and, and, show, and make Michigan State prove they can they can cover it. Also, number 15 at safety, Angelo Gross. Nice little tackler, was a kind of a thick corner last year as a true freshman, played in the nickel as the nickel back in the slot later in the year. Now he's at safety, and he's still learning back there. And Youngstown caught Michigan State and singled safety deep, cover one man-to-man. Michigan State was pressing everybody that particular play, had number 15 on their best receiver, who was the number three receiver to the inside, and ran a deep flag on him, and he was open by step and a half quarterback overthrew him. If you catch Michigan State a man-to-man and you can force that matchup, you can attack number 15. He's, he's still learning there. They'll put him in a situation to play man-to-man like a corner, um, although he's a safety. Um, you know, A lot of times the sport, as you know, comes down to matchups, and I, you know, Michigan State's going to have to withstand, I think, some deep shot attempts from Miami. I would think that Miami would like to uh, get into a rhythm with, with some explosive plays. And I, when they look at Michigan state's film, I got to believe they're going to think that they're, they've got a chance to take some shots occasionally when Mich- when they catch Michigan state, a man, to man. Yep. No doubt. Uh, Miami's thinking points, points, points this week. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. Great insight into the Spartans looking forward to Saturday's game in a big time way. Uh, you know, I, I love good ball games. I think this is going to be a good one. I think there's a chance it goes into the fourth quarter. Um, it could end up being a shootout, uh, if Michigan state's offense shows up and, um, just a, it should be a great day at the stadium for the fans of both teams. So for Jim Comperoni of SpartanMag.com, I'm Gary Furman. Thank you for joining us on Kane Sports Countdown to Kickoff, and we'll see you at Hard Rock Saturday at noon, everybody.